Are you jonesing for Jessica? As you have to be because Netflix has just announced that they have given a second season to their popular Marvel series, Jessica Jones. And we here at Jonesing for Jessica is uh, are discussing each episode, uh, episode by episode, dissecting them uh, with a guest each week. Um, one of your hosts, Brett, and joining me as always is Alana. How you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to hear that the show's been renewed, although I'm not at all surprised. Um, yeah. And uh, I just, for anybody who's new to the podcast, we focus on one episode per episode of the show, meaning that this episode of the podcast is focused on episode 10, which is AKA 1000 cuts. Um, there won't be spoilers for future Jessica Jones um, content. It'll just be focused on what's happening in this episode. Although by now I imagine I'm the only person who has not watched the show in its entirety. I have been uh, pacing myself as we tape the show. So I don't know what happens after this episode. And I'm the last American, I believe to be in that situation. Um, no, no, my my wife hasn't watched them all either yet. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, that's all. That's I'm um, to blame for that. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, well, we have a new guest on this episode. We have Danielle Page, who is New York Times bestselling author of Dorothy Must Die, um, its upcoming sequel, The Wicked Will Rise, and the upcoming Stealing Snow series. Uh, in addition to writing young adult books, she has worked in television, where she's received a writing uh, Writers Guild of America award and was nominated for several daytime Emmys. Uh, she's a graduate of Columbia University and lives in New York City. How you doing? And welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, I, Brett and I were talking, and you know, we have professional comic writers on our show regularly. Like we had one on last week. We have them a lot, but we've never had someone who writes for television. Well, actually, Jesse Moynihan writes for writes for anime uh, Adventure Time. But you're the first person we've had who has written for like non-animated television, you know, shows for grown-ups and stuff like that. So. Really excited to have that perspective on the podcast. Well, lucky me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, sort of start from the start, I want to just talk a little bit about general feelings about this episode before we dive into going through some of the major threads and the plot of the episode. Um, I, I have to say for myself, this was a weird episode and definitely not one of my favorites, but watching it a second time, I picked up on a few things that I do like quite a bit, even though this is still probably the weakest episode of the show so far. What do you think? Um, I had to, I was saying right before the show, I agree. I I love the show, and I think each episode has been so well plotted and everything ties together. This one felt like kind of a cleanup episode where they had to tie new things together before we get to the very end of the, the season. I feel like we, we it just felt like a a bit of a hodgepodge, and it was also exceptionally gory. Like, I was a little surprised by the, I, I love the thousand cuts. It was, it, but it was, it was a little, little creepier than usual, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Brett, what do you think overall? Um, um, well, the, I, the, well, I was going to say, the, uh, for me, the, I've been kind of describing and hinting at it as we've been doing the show. This is where I think the series goes off the rails. Um, and definitely is kind of like a huge shift in tone and quality of the series. But yeah, it kind of sounds like we're all on the same page of our, our general thoughts. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. So we begin with uh, Kilgrave making his escape. Um, once more, Hogarth underestimates him. I, I mean, I understand that it takes a while to get used to the fact that you're dealing with a person with pores on this scale. So I can't say 
that I blame her entirely for underestimating Kilgrave's powers yet again. I, I blame her for being completely amoral in her handling of this entire situation and being amoral in, like, literally everything she does in this entire episode. But um, she really, like, by pulling, up, pulling a gun to him and thereby giving him the opportunity to speak, she opens herself up to be manipulated by him yet again. Um, and, of course, he drives, she drives him right to Wendy's for medical care. And uh, that's when things go, really go to hell. Um, any thoughts on Hogarth and uh, Kilgrave's uh, escape? Uh, I think I think for me, oh, uh, going a little bit further ahead, I mm-hmm. I just I think my big surprise was that she um, that she had taken the uh, that she had kept the embryo or kept it like that. To me, felt it just felt like like a different level of evil than I thought that Hogarth yeah. was. It was a different. Like, just like well, that doesn't really work with who she is for me because I think okay, she's just one type of evil, not that type of evil. Like, what is she going to do with it? Like, just, I was yeah, completely I, surprised by that. I mean, she goes from being, like, an, an evil person who you might encounter in, like, regular life to being kind of like a mad scientist. Like, Yeah, it's like, I think I might use that later. It's like, really? Do you, how are you going to use that? What is happening here? So that was a bit of a surprise. And even her making the choice to to kind of to let him in, it's like, I feel like she has – she she could get what she wanted from Wendy in some other way. Like, it wasn't like, do you really need this guy who's clearly a danger to get this thing that you want that you probably could strong-arm Wendy into? It just seemed like, why would you make that risk? But I know we mm-hmm. needed the plot to go forward, so. Yeah. I mean, the other piece is, like, you know, when, when, when Hogarth first, when Hogarth told the nurse to hold on to um, the fetal uh, remains or whatever, probably not even a fetus, but, like, I guess, like, zygote, whatever, I assumed it was so she had evidence of the fact that she that Hope had been had been raped, like that there's genetic so evidence killed, right? Like I we thought she was doing this for like a moral reason, you know, to help her client. And the idea that she went and did it for like supervillain reasons is kind of unbelievable. Like I feel like everything that Hogarth does in this episode is evil, but like believable for her, except that. That is really unbelievable to me. Yeah, it was like the moment where it's like, oh, wait, we are in a comic book now. I just, I forgot, and then we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and what's interesting is that, like, you know, uh, Kilgrave says to her almost as an almost overhead, like, well, you know, tell me something I don't know, like, as a joke. Not as a joke, but, like, as a matter of speech. And so she literally tells him something he doesn't know, which is, you know, the status of the fact that, that Hope was pregnant and that she had the embryo. I mean, that's. I like the way that we that. found out. I just don't. I didn't buy why she why she did it. I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and then just generally like the fact that she, you know, we knew the second he says he needs medical help, we know that she's going to go to Wendy's, and it's not just because that's the doctor she trusts, but because she still is considering using his powers against against Wendy, and then she only yeah. has her moment of like regret. Once they're in the, once they're together in the apartment, and she's like, you know, you don't have to do this right now, you know, you, maybe you should, you should wait. And I think that in a lot of ways, her relationship with Kilgrave is sort of like it's about wish fulfillment in a way, because she she wants to be able to control people and control everybody does, and she can't because she's a person. She does a very good job, but she's not superhuman. Um, Hogar, I'm sorry, and then. Kilgrave presents the superhuman ability to control everything in the world around him. And so when she finally has access to him, it's like, yeah, and here's everything that can go wrong when you have that, that kind of power. Um, 
And I literally you know, wrote down the words evil genie because that's what he really is. Like she was making yeah. a wish, basically, and it went completely wrong. That's a great metaphor. Totally. And there's, I was say, there's a thing that, that really stood out to me in the beginning um, when Kilgrave goes to Hogarth and she's in the car and she points the gun at him and he says, oh, get rid of that. In almost a weird way, like he dislikes guns, which is, I think, fascinating. Like his the way he reacted to it um, really kind of, it just was a very odd reaction on top of the fact that you think that he might want to have, just have a gun to have it around, um, just his his dealing with that I thought was it was very fascinating. Um, I think you're right. I have a theory why. Oh, good. <laughs> I think he doesn't like guns because guns are literally too much of a loose cannon. Like there's just too much unpredictable usage of a gun. Like he doesn't like he's not comfortable with them in the same way that like. People like me are not comfortable with them. Like there's, <laughs> it's just too much of a loose, too much of a loose cannon. Like he has to control everything, and it's a little bit out of his control. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Oh my god! And speaking of guns, the fact that you cut, you know, after his escape, we see um, uh, Trish, you know, literally trying to put the bullet into her head physically because he told her to. Which is like at the end of the last episode, I was like, "Oh my god, I bet she's going to be doing that in the beginning of this episode." And lo and behold, she was. And I actually felt like her acting in that particular scene was not good, but her acting throughout the entire rest of it was really good. I, I think there's something about like having to follow those commands in those ways that kind of makes—I don't know—it makes you feel seem read a little bit unbelievable. Even though I get maybe that's the point, but it, it was sort of rough. And of course, I think know, it, it takes you out of it a little bit. I think because it's like the she has to, the literal part of it. I think, but I thought it was clever. I was actually I I did think it was a clever way to resolve mm-hmm. it, but putting the the bullet in the mouth, so it did oh, yeah. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the the other thing that's is that it answers uh, you know something that we've talked about a bunch of times, and that you know while he gives commands and you're forced to do it, it there's still some you know an end in this as to how you interpret those commands. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, we definitely just outright laid that out. Like, we we thought that was the case, but I think this is the, the time we say that is actually the case. That's true. Like, it makes you wonder if they gave her, his father a piece of paper with a heart on it, and he had scissors, like, would he just cut the heart out of the paper and then he'd be okay? Like, are there other ways like that you can... You know, short circuit. Yeah, I feel like on. wasn't there some other there's some other example earlier in the show where she where um, Jessica like sidesteps that right with some other character mm-hmm. I can't remember which episode. So I think That's that she's she, she's used to trying to get around the commands. Um, I don't remember what episode, but there was somebody else that Jessica figured it out a way to get around the command. It was when she killed she fake killed Trish. Oh right, right, Trish. <laughs> right. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, and one last thought before we go to talking about douche cop for a little bit. Um, so I just can't believe that I did not think of that name myself because I totally <laughs> fit him. I still like oh, Deputy well, Dipshit. We, we we live to serve. I do like that too. I love that too. Because um, he's earned that name. He really, especially in this episode. This is truly his douchiest of douche. I mean, yeah. beyond beyond douche. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so one other thing is that, like, you know, we. I shouldn't say most people at this point in the show are, you know, sympathetic to Wendy 
far more so than to Hogarth. Um, and so, you know, we were probably sitting there, like, hoping that Wendy will be able to get some amount of revenge on Hogarth for Hogarth, like, really ruining her life and abusing her. And the show is like, oh, you want to see Wendy get revenge on Hogarth? Let me show you what that looks like. And then, like, shows you how awful that is. And, you know, that actually happens another time in this episode in another way, which I'll, which I'll raise later. But I feel like I've seen the show do this before, and it's actually something that the a Game of Thrones, you know, a Song of Ice and Fire book series is really masterful at, actually, which is, like, giving the audience wish fulfillment of, like, something really bad that we want and showing us how bad it actually is. You know, like, oh, you want violence? I'll show you what this violence would look like. Um, you know, oh, what you want Wendy to be able to stick up for herself and, like, get back at Hogarth. Like, let, let me show you how that's actually going to play out. I agree with you. I think that's great. And I think that it, it goes back to our evil genie theory. Like, we're getting, we're getting like, Wendy's wish come true, too, and it, it is not at all what she would want it to be. So Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And that scene, like, you know, when Pam, when, 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 when Pam, you know, breaks through the door, I still don't know why Pam shows went to Wendy's house. I think they gave her like a line later saying I you know when I get in touch with you I I I I want I went to Wendy's it just it's a little bit it was a little convenient to me I think it really was um you know so Pam goes and like saves Hogarth's life and you know it's completely understandable like how Pam how it went down with Pam Pam's not an expert at rescuing people like no. so she she, just, she hits her in the head with the nearest object which unfortunately happens to be something that's very heavy and kills Wendy. And, you know, I feel terrible for Pam because Pam, like, did not mean to kill her. But what I think is, I thought that the scene was handled really powerfully because, like, when she hits her in the head, like, you're, you think maybe she just, like, knocked her out. Because in this show, like, oh, you know, people get knocked out a lot. You don't a realize lot. that she killed her. You know, like, a lot. You don't realize <laughs> that she killed her until you until Jessica comes and you get the reverse shot from Jessica's perspective. And that's when, when you, you see your head on the table. Oh my God, it was awful. <laughs> exactly, it's gory and terrifying. And like until that moment, you think she just knocked her out or something, you know? Yeah. I kept wondering if there was some sort of a metaphor about like how it's the glass table. Like I, I don't know. I couldn't figure out what that meant. So I don't know. My notes say glass as a metaphor for a reflection? Question mark. I don't know. But Possibly. I thought that was well done. I thought it was well it done, was, but it terrifying. Was very, very scary. For me, I think the episode, like, it, even the, the beginning does not bother me so much as the part that comes next. So we mm. can we when we get there. <laughs> okay, totally. Oh, I had, just, well, you know, I mean, and then one last thought on the scene is, of course, like, in the middle of everything that's happening, and, like, poor Pam and, like, Wendy being dead, Hogarth is muttering to herself, trying to justify what happened. Like, she's just, I didn't know. How could I know? I couldn't have known. Like, she's just muttering to herself to justify her own actions, like, showing no concern for Pam or for Wendy. And it's just, like the ultimate, you know, condemnation of how Hogarth is such a piece of shit. Yeah, she totally does not redeem herself in any way in this episode. Mm -mm. The whole scene, like, that's, for me, the whole episode is just, like, a slow slide into, like, ridiculousness. I don't understand why Hogarth doesn't fight back more. She's just doing defensive the entire time, and it's really, really at the end, um, she stands up and, and attempts to, like, Stop Wendy. I, the whole scene. I'm I didn't. Wondering, like, I didn't actually mind it that much because I think that like right. she's a really tough person, but that doesn't mean that you're a good fighter. Like it doesn't mean that like physically she would have the 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 advantage in a fight like that. I think she was kind of caught off guard, and and someone's coming at you that you used to love with a knife. I don't know. I don't like. Not everyone is like as kick ass as she seems to be as a person. Like on the inside, she doesn't have to physically have that 
that capability. But I was okay with getting it. up. Well, just even getting up and running away, like it just there's something off of it, like about the whole scene. Did for you me, the choreography. I, yeah, like I mean, she's just kind of like crawling back, and she's got her arm up, which makes sense. But you think that there would be a bit more. I need hmm. like urgency of running or trying to just grab something to deflect or cover yourself or something like that. It's just very like like. Or do you think that she's still weird. in the fog of having been like you know she's just been under Kilgrave's power? Is she huh. a little foggy too? Because they they did make a point of mentioning that oh, later yeah. in the episode. Yeah, that, that would makes make sense too. She had been Kilgraved. Both of them had. It was interesting also, like, seeing, like, I don't think we'd really seen Hogarth get Kilgraved before this episode. And, like, you see her, like, recoil when she realizes what had happened to her. Yeah. Like, she kind of finally gets it when he, you know, he briefly Kilgraves her. And she's like, oh, I, I get this now. I actually thinking about that scene, too, like, when she gets her bloody fingerprints all over that yellow and white modern art painting. Like, that was a really nice touch of, like, blood and death superimposed on like somebody's you know nice bourgeois domestic uh yeah i yeah i actually did like the that entire part of it like i i i did not mind any of it i liked the, i liked that scene i thought it was creepy and scary and i think it worked for me but mm-hmm. um and my issues are like a little bit later okay we'll we'll get to those so next we have a phone call that i just love so you cut to uh Jess is talking to Trish and Kilgrave's dad is in the background and Kilgrave's dad says, she wants to use me as bait. And Trish says, that's not what she's saying. And Jess says, I need to use him as bait. Like it's all an immediate <laughs> sequence. Um, and I don't know that that was like the laugh I had this entire episode. I went into memorial. Yeah, I thought it. it was, I thought it was totally fun. Um, and I, I do think that there was a lot of humor with what's her name. The sister of uh, Ruben's sister was also, oh. And rare form in this episode. Actually, I want to ask you: Do you think that that's that they're trying to be funny with her? Because I can't take it. I cannot take well, it. Well, I think it's a like I think she's kind of scenery chewing, but at the same time, I think they are trying. They this was a really gory episode, and I think like as in a lot of horror, I think people try to break up that stuff with like humor. To, it gives you the quiet moment before more bad stuff happens. I think it's I think it was definitely purposeful. I think she's a little grating, but I think it's on. It's definitely a choice they're making. It was one of my problems with the episode, but it was still, like, I think it was definitely on purpose. Hmm. Because I have been wondering, like, if the show wants us to laugh at Robin, like, that's really cruel. I mean, I don't want to watch Robin because she's fucking awful and, and, like, just needs to go away. Like, my notes literally say, oh, do we have to watch her again? But if she's going (laughs) to be there, she's tragic. (laughs) Like, her brother was murdered, you know? And and I don't want to laugh at her. You know? But I think that she, I know, I know, and I think it's super sad, but I think the, the, the way that they're handling her material, it, it is like there are these, like, there are these tragic comic moments, like her going, like she's she's wallpapering the world with her, her um, brother's picture, and she's, but the things that she's saying are kind of funny, because she doesn't, she doesn't know her brother's dead yet, so it's yeah. tragic and it's awful, but it it is, like, she herself is, is comedic for me, um, and sad, it is very sad. Yeah, I can't take it. That this anything with her actually is the stuff that I had the hardest time dealing with in this episode. I just did not even want to watch 
Well, I I had more of a logistics thing. Like, I just did mm-hmm. not buy that she could rally the troops to come after Jessica. <laughs> like, this yeah. Is, like, this is my issue. Like, the next section was like, wait, what is happening? This would not happen. Yeah, that they would. Well, here's my thought about that. So, you know, later in the episode, you know, when Robbins follows Malcolm to the, to the diner and listens into the support group and then tries to turn the support group into, like, an anti-Jessica Jones, like, mob yeah, of angry villagers. Not, I just don't understand how that could happen. Like, that was a moment where it's like, I don't, I know that they physically wanted to get those people into Jessica's house for a reason, but why they could have found another reason. I just, it did not work for me. Yeah, it felt like, what, I mean, my one, my one thing on their side is that these are people who've recently been forced to be followers. Like they were forced to follow Kilgrave and like they're, you know, in like group therapy, so to speak, to try to not be followers. And like, what is it that they do here? They like fall right back into the act of following someone. I think it works, but I think that, that then they should have, instead of playing that moment with the sister, like I think she could have been more sympathetic in that moment so that she rallied them in a way that made sense. Like if she played on their sympathies as opposed to, it just felt like she was ranting and then all of a sudden they were all ranting with her. It didn't quite... I didn't buy it. Like, I just didn't mm-hmm. buy that they would leave that location and then go after Jessica. Like, I just, it, it felt a little false for me. If that meeting had, had taken place down the hall from Jessica, maybe they would get up and go. But I just, I didn't quite buy it. Like, it felt, mm-hmm. it felt weird to me. And it was really hammy. I mean. And it felt convenient. It's, it was, mm-hmm. they needed, they physically needed them to go to a new location. So, it was like, let's put them here. That's what it felt like for me. And that's why I think that's why I wanted this. Is that was like my big problem with the episode because mm-hmm. otherwise I felt like they're tying up loose ends. But this felt like something that that they would that those people would not necessarily do. And it was just that we it could have been they could have used any people at the end of that episode instead of those people for me. But hmm. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. I mean, Brett, what did you think about that decision to have the? I don't want to say lynch mob, but like I don't really know. Like angry villager mob, I guess is the best I can. Uh, the, whole, the whole plot line, I mean, that to me, again, goes with the whole things going off the rail. Robin and her brother and the mob, like, it just, we were saying, be- like, or I was saying before we went on the air, is like, I feel like there was all these plot lines and the writers didn't know what to do with them. And we're coming up with goofy reasons of like, well, we need Kilgrave to escape. Well, how are we going to do that? well, we can have an angry mob and, like, it's just so and throwing out ideas and no one's sitting there being like, wait, no one feels this feels, like, ridiculous? Like, the whole series up to this point has been fairly grounded for, like, a superhero series. I mean, it's been fairly Very. grounded. Um, and this is the point where it just gets... I don't want... It's going to sound negative, but it just feels very comic booky. y um, mm-hmm. where just, you know, plot points don't make a whole lot of sense and we're just going to kind of throw things out there. Um, yeah, I just yeah. think it was a little like I, I I think that they could have she could have had a different over here to find out about that that her, how her brother had died. She could have found it, found it in another way. She could have overheard him talking to Jessica, and then that would make a lot more sense. And then maybe found Kilgrave. Like I I don't know. Like they, there could have been a, like a simpler way to get there, and he could have just instead of having the lunch mob or whatever mob we're going to call them. She could have just used any patrons at, at a restaurant because he's done that before because Jessica mm. totally would save anybody. She doesn't need to save that group of people. I can't imagine him saying, oh, you know what, I'll march these 10 people down to the restaurant to, and put them and lunch them. Like, it just felt like a, a little, little a lot too many pieces maybe. I mean, well, I, I think, think it's just a, I was going to say, just, I think a better is, you know, you have Robin find out that her brother's dead 
and that just sets her off, and maybe she go grabs a bat and cold cocks Jessica when she opens the door. Like that's all it needs to happen. And you're showing yeah, and that Robin yeah. got some strength to her, and yeah. And you get the moment. You get the actual. Like I feel like we lost her emotional moment. Like she found out for sure that her her brother is dead, and that this guy that she likes helped clean up the body and instead she's like rallying troops like she could have had a big moment there and he could have been there for horror she could have gone down the hall and beat up jessica but whatever it was it wasn't about her it was about getting to that next plot point and that's yep. what kind of sucked about it it's a, yeah. it a series of events that were interconnected as opposed to like growth of characters or anything like that it's just like interconnected events you know you had to do a to get to b to get to c yeah, I think mm-hmm. and a lot of characters, like within the episode, I wasn't really quite sure of what their motivations for it were. Um, like, Douche Cop, like, I don't know what he was, when he does the thing that he does in this episode, I don't actually know if he just wanted to get to Jessica or if he felt like he needed to, cl- I, like, I, like I, there's just, like, moments in this episode where I'm like, I don't know, why is that person doing that thing? And I don't, I'm not sure. So, uh, and this is the first episode I felt that way. Hmm. And I love oh, this yeah. show to death, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I hate to slam anything, but yeah. Well, we can definitely hit on some of the, your general thoughts about why the show's awesome later. Well, let's make time for okay. that for sure. Okay, good. Um, so, but yeah, I'm totally with you guys on this. Um, so we go and we see Jessica in her apartment, um, and you can tell she's not alone because the camera work is like clearly showing you she's being watched. It's just like the most paranoid camera work imaginable. And the whole time I'm like, ah, and yeah, of course it's Kilgrave. Um, and that's when Kilgrave tries to make a deal for Hope. Uh, we, you know, he speaks to Jessica and is very heavy-handed in acknowledging Hope's name is Hope and then before for Jess's hope for that she might be a good person or Jess's hope for the future and Jess's hope to preserve innocence and all that stuff, which, you know, if you've been paying attention to the show, you've probably noticed that by now, but they just, I guess they didn't trust their viewers to pick up on that without Kilgrave spelling it out, um, but he spells it out. And then we have a scene which I think is one of the better things in the show where you have Jess's perspective um, of a flashback versus Kilgrave's perspective of a flashback. And Kilgrave brings this up because he's trying to claim that for 18 seconds she felt she had, she had feelings for him. Um, he says this is because uh, she was away for, for 12 hours. He did not use, this, this is a flashback to during their time together. Um, and he says that he knows that she likes her because she. he knows that she has feelings for him because he didn't control her for 12 hours and his after and after that time, his effect would have worn off and there was 18 seconds in which she was had not been exposed to his powers and he had not tried on her again. And, and, and in those 18 seconds, she did not like leave him basically or did not escape or whatever. And therefore, she must have feelings for him. And what's amazing to me is I, he's, like, litigating her. That He's, like, trying to, like, litigate that she had feelings based on 18 seconds of time, which is... Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I thought that yeah. I I love that because I think that they're doing such a good job of exploring the two sides of of what he believes is happening and what she believes is happening. And he's just completely wrong, but he doesn't know it. And I think that there's something that I always say about villains and, and when I'm writing, um, and I think it's, I don't know if, if I learned this from soaps or from what, but like, I always feel like like the best villains are the ones that have no idea that they're villains. He doesn't think he's a bad guy. He really believes he's like, he's convinced himself too, that this mm-hmm. is like a love story. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely thinks she's in a romantic comedy, and she'll come around in yeah. the end. But actually, one of the things I liked with is him and him and Wendy earlier commiserating about their like love life problems together was yes. so good and awful because you're like, no, Wendy, you have re- you're a normal person. He is a mess. But you could see you could see him like he's like throughout he's justifying his own behavior. It's like yeah. and he he and he's also making the decision. I think in that moment, it's like, well, yeah, I will let you kill your girlfriend because she's awful too. You know, it's like there's like there's oh. something there. Like it's so interesting. That's totally true. That is why he does it. But I thought about it just being part of his getaway. But I think it's partially like he like wanted to put himself in Wendy's shoes. That's interesting. Well, yeah, like because I think he would have he would have just killed her himself or made her kill him kill herself. But he was like, no, I'll let you do it. It was you know, and it, and there's some poetry to it because she's made the line about a thousand cuts. So that's mm-hmm. how you get to do it. It's like I I thought there was something so clever there. So mm. I think that like the show is so smart, and I just I hate that there are a few places in this episode that were less smart. Like you said, like. Um, the fact that that they felt the need to spell out the whole hope thing it was just a little it was a little much yeah uh, so i like that he's trying to litigate her feelings over 18 seconds of time and i like that Jess is, is basically proving like even in those 18 seconds she still you know she still hated you um and we see her perspective and she's wearing this yellow dress that's really striking and um oh, i love she, that dress oh god it's it's so so it's, pretty and it's so not her, you know what I mean? Like, but it's so striking in the context of like the scene. And you know, she when she it really plays with our expectations. Like when she goes to jump off the roof, we think she's like going to kill herself because we forget for a moment that she can just do that. And she's not jumping right. off a roof to kill herself; she's jumping off a roof to escape. And she gets on a horse, and the horse is only in her mind. Um, I, I I wasn't sure. I don't know if she like if she if the horse is in her mind and she's just thinking it, or if the horse was in her mind at the time of that experience um i don't know i thought it was like i i i don't think i needed the horse actually like i didn't need her to have like this like fairy tale escape in her head i kind of wish that her escape was just her jumping down and walking off because i i don't know i don't think she needed the the pretty escape like i bet maybe the horse symbolizes something else that i'm not aware of that's my problem with the horse is that it came on and then it just took me out of everything and i'm trying to figure out what does the horse represent? Like, what is the symbolism behind the horse? Because I don't think that she has that sweetness to her, and she doesn't have like the like, or maybe it's something like related to childhood, or something that I'm like, or something Freudian, or that, or that I'm missing. But I just, I didn't need the horse. I, I needed her to really think about escaping and really have it be a real thing for her, and she just didn't have the time to do it. I think that would have been better for me. I, I Although it was a lovely image, but it exactly, felt like it, yeah, it, 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 it the image yeah. felt like it fit a little bit with the fantasy of like the fantasy that he created of her, like this beautiful girl, with the beautiful dress on a beautiful horse. Like it felt more him than her, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. Maybe that's why, like his fungus in her head made her view herself as this romantic heroine for a minute. Maybe, and maybe she hadn't shaken it yet, so she needed a horse to get away as opposed to using her own steam because she's capable of like practically flying so why wouldn't that be your fantasy but maybe he's still stuck in her head because she did have that speech which i thought was helpful yeah i think that might be it i just sort of read the horse as being like a you know a symbol for freedom and all that but like i I think i think we're coming on something here i think that might be significant and then you know we see her perspective and his perspective and even his perspective like you can't even understand why he thinks this is consensual like 18 seconds please um and did he block 
Like, does Hello? the Kilgrave of... Can you hear me? Yeah, I lost you for a second. Did oh, you sorry. what? Yeah. Does the Kilgrave of today not remember telling her to cut her ear off? Like... I think he, I think he really does, doesn't. He's so out of it. Like, I think he's, he, like, he's conveniently t- forgotten that because when she shows him, then he does seem like almost surprised. Like, oh yeah, I did that. You know, it's not like, I think it's, he's just so fucked up. Because I thought that well, was a bit confusing. There does seem to be a weird disconnect between him and negative impacts of what he does. Well, I think they're playing with abuse, and like I think that like there there are people who hit women or do things and then blame the woman. It's like I think he yeah. almost blames her for that moment as opposed to like, oh, we were having this great moment, and then you didn't obey me, and that's why I had to to cut your ear off. Like it, it's almost like not he did, that action doesn't belong to him; it belongs to her. It's somehow her fault. It's not his fault. He doesn't connect it with something that he's done to her. It's it, all the things that he does. Like when he talks yep. about killing people, he's like, no, I don't kill people. Other people, you know, they just listen to me, but I don't do it. So it's, I think there's something, there's a disconnect there for him. He's always litigating his innocence, basically. Well, he's but always blaming, like, he still blames his parents. Like, I mean, it, like every, you know, it's everything is not his fault. I really like the piece of dialogue where he says, you wanted to stay with me, admit it. And she says, admit this. And she shows him her ear scar and he goes to feel it. And, like, he cannot deny that's existence, basically. And then she decks him cold. Like, I thought that was a really effective sequence. It was. It was. I agree. But I really, I really wasn't sure, like, if he, like, rem- did, just did not remember telling her to cut her ears off. Because, and if he didn't, it's because it doesn't match his story. Like, in his mind, his story is that he's the romantic hero. And so why would he tell her to do that? Like, he, does, he, he, like, very well may not remember even telling her to do that. I don't know. I think he does remember. I think he blames her. I don't think that – I think he disassociates it from his narrative, but I think he, he's aware of what he's doing, right? I mean – it's not like he's got amnesia for the acts that he's doing. I don't think. Hmm. No, but I think really it goes to him up. being. I think it goes to him being just so disconnected as to like what what he's responsible for. I mean, it's it's like there was a you know he threw was it maybe the second or third episode he threw the coffee at the guy, and then further in the series he just kind of brushes off like. No, the you know the guy asked for it, or the guy kind of threw the coffee on himself. There was there was like another line he gives where it just brushes off his act, um, in that no, the other person is the one that really caused it, and I just I just feel like that's the way he acts for everything. I think that works, and I think he because especially with like the parental stuff, he's blaming them for everything too. So I think it's he's blaming everything on other people. I think we could yeah agree to that. Yeah. So then the next scene we have is the diner scene. We hit about we hit on a little bit earlier where Malcolm um is there with the other members of the support group. Um Donald uh says he's still not allowed to see his son, which I thought was an important piece, you know, to remind people of was like the lasting impact of be of him, you know, being considered to have abandoned by the law to have abandoned his child even though it wasn't his choice Kilgrave made him. Um, I mean, Donald is, uh, you know, the most sympathetic, really, like, in terms of, you know, what happened with him. Um, right. I mean, it's just awful. And Malcolm opens up for the first time, really, with the group. Like, it felt like he'd sort of been acting like a facilitator this whole time. We we don't know to what extent he had talked about his dealing with addiction with the group. He probably had talked about that some. But um, 
it was interesting to see how much the group used group therapy terminology and it's all be, you know Malcolm actually is like a trained social worker so like he probably set up that group you know about as well as you could do in terms of following psychiatric practices or what have you you know I'm except sure like there's no doing it in a, yeah, except for doing it in a very public place, public place which made no sense to me yeah it's a weird it's a weird setting because um, it's clearly like well handled, but then if I'm going to tell people that I killed somebody or like took disposed of a body, I think I would not choose a public setting to share that information. No, it was me. sort of weird how he. That, I mean, like I'm not at all surprised that Malcolm finally had to tell somebody. Like the whole episode was really hinting that he was going to have to, but the way it came out was like really bad. I, the whole time he's, op- he's opening up, I'm like, no, don't She's it. totally there. It's like she's there. I knew she was there. And it's like, but, yeah. like, you have at least put it in a, the basement of a church or something. Like, I just don't get that it had to be there. My big thing is everyone's reaction to him saying it was like, no, we're not going to get defensive about how he dumped a body. Like, really? No one's sitting <laughs> no there like. No cross talk. There was like, we don't cross yeah. talk here. It's like, he just talked about your, someone's. Body. Just talking yeah. about dumping the body, like, this is your reaction? Are you all that jaded about life that's like, oh, yeah, I dumped the body this week, that no one's sitting there being like, dude, that's really <laughs> fucked up. You should probably go to the police. I guess no. No, they were not. <laughs> totally common in that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I did. I do that all the time. Like, what? I don't know. I mean, maybe, like, the fact that they had just been exposed to the fact that Jessica had something to do with, like, dumping a body, maybe that has helped push them over the edge into, like, angry villager mode. Well, I think that could have worked if they'd had a reaction, but they didn't have – it's like they didn't have Mm. a reaction, and then suddenly they were an angry mob following this girl who had this huge reaction that they didn't share originally. It just – did not play out the way I don't know. Like I think that if she'd had like some sort of like oh my god my brother died and and she had some sort of like breakdown meltdown and they responded to her maybe then they would rally behind her. But instead it was like she's really really mad at Jessica. Let's all be mad at Jessica and then we're done. You know it was it was weird. Yeah, I agree. I I would have really liked to see her like suddenly become like a serious character in that moment. Yeah, I like, think that was like her moment to have a real reaction, and instead it was almost it was almost a comedic moment, which, which didn't make any sense to me. It's mm-hmm. like if you just found out your brother's body was like, and this guy that she's kind of like flirty with is like he was involved. Like, I think I would be devastated, and I would show it in some way. I mean, not that rallying people to go get Jessica Jones was not a way to show it, but that's that's just me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have our final scene with Douche Cop of the episode. Oh, you know what? I totally skipped over the earlier one with shooting. Um, yeah, yeah that, I, I talked about it. Yeah. Uh, where is it? It's not in my notes. Darn it. So Douche Cop has his douchiest episode yet. He shoots the detective. Um, what I thought was yeah, really and that's why I asked, like, why did he do it? Like, what mm-hmm. was he just covering up? Like, did he want to? Like, I I was a little. I know he wants to find Jessica. He wanted to know where Trish was, but. Was there really? Why did he have to kill him? I I didn't get it. I think it. I think that the thing that we got out of that scene is that as much as he like shows up and is manic and clearly out of like out of control and people can sense that about him, he's able to act like a normal person enough when he realizes he needs to to turn it on and off, and that to me is done to signal to us that he is responsible for his actions. 
you know, like and they gave in. yeah they they also gave that speech about from um from uh, Kil- Kilgrave's dad was talking mm-hmm. about the drug and said that like it's it it take it's if you, it's about conscience like if you have conscience then it can't give you conscience it's like it, there was a speech about it so it's very mm-hmm. clear that he's doing what he wants to do but I, I yeah. don't get why he wants to do it like I was no. that like why did he want to kill that cop it just didn't make sense for me because he could get the information from him. He did. It's just like Lester, un- Lester understands, like, you know, how dangerous Kilgrave is now. Yeah, I don't understand why Dushkop shot him. I don't. But I did think it was useful, like, how du- how Dushkop played Lester and manipulated him was important for having us understand. Um, well, yeah, I t- you see control. the level of manipulation and, and how how crazy he is. But at the same time, I was just like, well, you got the information you needed until you chose to, maybe that's the point, that he's he's just that mercenary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And later in the episode, you know, he does a similar thing to Trish. Like, he shows up, he tries to act sane. She can tell that he's, like, and he sort of turns it on and off. You know, her, her being injured or him worrying that she might be injured is what makes him finally, like, get control of himself. Right. Um, and, you know, I was so proud of Trish for pocketing those pills. Like that, she was able to pocket them from him while during the tussle. I thought that was pretty badass for her. I like her actually. Mm-hmm. I think that she's had nice growth throughout the season, and I I like her. That's she's very resourceful. My... Yeah. You know? She's like very resourceful without it being like unbelievably so. I and agree. she's obviously super dedicated, and in, in, you know to Jess and like. Just really, uh, you know, you've got to appreciate. Like, that's one of the things the show does really well is, like, really show, you know, a female friendship that's incredibly powerful. And and I like their relationship. It felt very real. And even, like, that moment where she's like, yeah, we have to go and get some sleep now. Because, like, in every other stupid show, it's like, like, people are up for 24 hours. And it's like, no, it's like Jack Bauer. We'll just keep going. Like, it's just like it. But it's not like I like that she's like, no, normal people have to sleep. We have to take this break. And then we'll start over in the morning. I actually thought I know it was just to get them to the next scene. But it it felt real for me. Hmm. I didn't actually understand the scene where she gets hit by the. Oh wait, maybe that's the next. I actually might be jumping out to the next episode. Never mind. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> oh, okay. In that case, but yeah, no. But Dushkop does accidentally hit her in this episode, yeah. but like barely, and he slips out that maybe he injured her, and she's and that's. I was so proud of her for finally telling him to get the fuck away. Like this is it. This is the end. I would imagine of the Trish Dushkop saga in terms of like, he, he is not wanted anymore. He has been kicked out and shown the door. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I hope I'm right too. Oh, yeah. God. Have you figured out who he is yet? No. I mean, I know because like I've seen it, but I don't understand it. So I don't know who he is. Is it like from the comic book? Cause I've never read them. Yeah. Yes. From the comics, but it's not yeah. from the actual comic series that she's in. Like he's just a character that exists in superhero comics. And I had thought okay. last episode, I had said that I thought he might've been U.S. agent who was a character yeah. that's kind of like a right wing version of Captain America. But we oh. know now that that's not the case. And he's this other guy, but I don't want, don't want to say who it is because spoilers, but no, Brett, okay. I have I... not figured out who he actually is. I just know that apparently he is not U.S. agent. Okay. Okay. Just should I read the comics? Am I like missing out? Yes. Oh my God, they're uh, so good. Alias, Sorry. you should. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Alias is so good. 
And most of Alias is not about Kilgrave, so it's not like you've even seen the story, really. You know what I mean? Okay, cool. Well, I'm I'm gonna wait till after the season, and then I will I will yeah. Totally. Like it's the story is really centered around Jessica Jones's own life, like at the time the series begins, and you only find out about Kilgrave really like about a year into the series. Um, but yeah, the, the comics are fantastic, and for those who have read them, uh, we have a series of essays on our blog on Graphic Policy Radio. Um, series is called Investigating Alias, and Logan Dalton had been writing this for uh, Rainbow Hub, but that website's going under, and now he's joining us now, thankfully. I'm really excited, and he's doing a close read of Alias and um, just doing a real thoughtful analysis of all the different issues of the comic, and it's like a great refresher if you've read the series, and if you are starting to read it now, you can kind of follow along with him. That's cool. So uh, Hope wants a five-napkin burger which I felt like was an important <laughs> character note because Kilgrave was always making women go fancy places and thinking that that's what women want. Oh, yeah, that's true. I also feel like it's very, like, there's something very kind of down-to-earth in, like, middle America about that, of, like, you're just getting out of prison. What do you want? I want a burger. It's just very, like, you know, I don't I don't want lobster. I, don't, I just want a burger. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. The actress who plays Hope was really good in this episode, doing, like, a lot of yeah. hard stuff. Oh, I, I was so impressed. Yeah. And, oh, God, I I had heard rumors, like, I hadn't heard rumors. You know, I had kind of heard that Hope died in the show. I had heard from somebody at some point, and I, I so I, I did expect this. Like, this episode, I knew this was going to be Hope's last episode. Uh, I, I did not know. know. Mm. I did not know. So I was. I think that the one thing about the show that I love too is that, like, I think that even this episode has been the most difficult for me. But every episode has surprised me in some way, and this I did not. I did not see. It. I mean, I saw it coming once we got really close to it, but I did not see it coming at the top of the episode. So. Mm. But you saw it coming once you heard. Once you were in the restaurant, or at what point did you did you did you figure out like? Oh, when they said they wanted to make the exchange, I knew that either the dad or her was not going to make out make out make it out of it alive. So yeah. I was it was yeah one or the other was going to probably sacrifice themselves. That was like my guess, and it ended up being her. Oh God! I mean, I you know, hope you know basically decides that in order to prevent Kilgrave from having control. Of over her and other people, like she was going to kill herself, and so she does, and she does it really brutally and graphically because it's the only way she can at that point. Um, but it's also like you know, like Hope chooses to end her own life. Like that's fucking heavy and hard to take and watch. And Hope makes yeah. a gamble. Hope gambles that Jess is going to be utilitarian and choose to save six lives over one life, and Jess is utilitarian and she chooses to save six lives, you know, immediately and then try to help Hope only after the fact, um, which is, you know, I knew Jessica was going to do that. I also thought this was another example of the phenomena I said earlier where, you know, the show th- shows you what you think you want and then it's not what you want because Kilgrave says himself, you can't say these people don't deserve it, like of the people who are, of, you know, the, 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 the support group people who are all standing in a line ready to hang themselves. Um and it's like, you know, we are all exasperated at those people at that point, of course. But no, we don't right. want them to fucking hang. That's not what we want, Kilgrave. We want them to realize they're wrong. We don't want them to die. So I thought that was like right. another example of that kind of like, oh, we'll show you what you want, but it's not in the way you want it at all. Phenomenon did, in the show. When did he have the time to get those people? 
Well, they had they were they were in the that they mobbed the ha- the apartment or whatever. That's why he got them all, and he just brought them with him to the restaurant. <laughs> well, that's the part that I said made no sense. It's like why couldn't he just have taken other people? Yes, that would like, be I mean, he like because he had to he had to make them all go to the restaurant with him. It's like it just seems like a little field trip to go. You know, <laughs> it's a little much. I thought that was just yeah. The Kilgrave okay. field trip. Yeah. Yeah, that part bugged me. It was like, okay, that's why they all had to be at the apartment or her office so that they could be taken by Kilgrave. Yeah. That was the whole point of the mobs. And that's like, that's why it just felt like there was like, okay, this is why people are going to a certain place for this plot device. And it was like, the it's probably the first time in the show that I felt that way. Well, I also think it kind of reiterates the thing that bothers me about the series as a whole, especially up to this point, is that she captures Kilgrave, Kilgrave gets away. She captures Kilgrave, Kilgrave gets away. She captures Kilgrave, Kilgrave gets away um, through, like, some convoluted means. And it's just, you know, there's a point where I was screaming at the TV watching the series being like, just snap his neck and get this over with. Like, come on, like. Enough's enough with this. Well, I mean, the whole point of this episode is that now she can kill him. Like the reason she right. was not going to kill him before was no Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think it. I think Kilgrave thinks that it's because she wants to think of herself as a hero. But I honestly think it's primarily because she wanted to get Hope out of jail. Um. Yeah, I think, I'm not as bothered by the device like throughout the season because the, he did have a carrot that she wanted. He had hope, and that was the thing that she wanted. So now that she knows that she has her own will and she's got hope back, she does have this moment. And then, you know, of course, hope kills herself. So now she's really free to kill him. So I don't know. It did, like everything works except for the stupid mutt lunch mop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought the visual of having all the the support crew people standing in a line along the bar um, at his command was really visually arresting. And you yeah, and I do. I, I agree. I think that they were going for those, mo- like they had like the visions of these moments without like the connective material was just not there for me. But it, it totally, like the end of the episode worked for me and the beginning of the episode worked for me. It's just the stuff in the middle felt like it was a bit of a hodgepodge. I think that also, like, you see Robin seeing Kilgrave's power. Like, you see it on her face. So you, I did get a little bit of justification about that. Like, I don't think Robin is going to be going around <laughs> blaming Jess for things anymore. Yeah, and I also, I, I think that they could have found another way to get her roped into the end of the episode. I just, like, I think mm-hmm. that, like, there's just, like, you know, like, she could have been with Jessica, like, trying to get to Jessica, like, angry at Jessica for having found out, and Kilgrave could have taken her along. It's just the idea of taking that many people along felt a little much. Mm-hmm. Not. I'm wondering about I, the actual, like, feel- movement of that. Like, do you, do you all get, grab a cab together? Do you take a bus? Like, how, how does that actually work? <laughs> exactly. Like, like, do they just line up? And is it a, really is the restaurant really close? Like, well, yeah. I mean, that restaurant is over by Washington Square Park, you know. So they must have walked from Hell's Kitchen to Washington Square Park, which like is totally walkable. But it's definitely like an outing. It would be like make way for ducklings of like people being led down the street together. I mean, maybe good practice for him when he wants to take over the world or something. Like, this is how you care, you know transport a lot of people at once. But it was just a little. It's just like I can't imagine it. It just seems so silly. Yeah, it was. It was. And then, like, and just in other places in, in the series, like, if he wanted to, he wants control Jessica, he'll threaten just 
nearby people, which makes complete sense to me. So, like, he could have just gone to a restaurant with Hope and threatened the staff of that restaurant and put them on the bar, and that would it would be the same thing. I know he wanted people that mean something to us, but it just the logistics bugged me. Mhm, mhm. I agree. Um, in conclusion, we have a brief moment where the vaccine works. Like you see Kilgrave's dad be very happy for like two seconds when he's able to refuse the demand to yes. walk forward, and then he does. And it's like, fuck. I guess that. I, know. I mean, I thought I thought that the vaccine was going to work. I actually thought it was. The fact that it like wore off so quickly, I was surprised. That's very scary. Yeah, I, I don't do think know. The whole, uh, it's the vaccine, and it kind of go, probably go help answer for help your answer. Like, what do you think of the whole thing of like, oh, he's actually a virus. I think it's interesting because it makes his parents not like these evil people that were just experimenting on him. They were parents trying to cure him, right? They weren't. Mm-hmm. So they really, their reasoning was not just science for science's sake, which kind of means that the whole thing started, you know, Kilgrave became Kilgrave. He thought because they were these awful people, but they're not, they actually weren't that awful. So it, it not that it means anything to him, but it, it, this whole thing was put in motion by something that's, a virus, which I thought was really interesting. Well, they're still evil because, like, the way they experimented on him was really not prioritizing his own needs at all. True. But it wasn't like they, but they weren't like, they didn't but start But they weren't off just setting like, out to, like, yeah. yeah. It's, everything is more gray than either party would have you painted as, basically. Right. So, it, I mean, it takes away a little bit of, of their culpability, not that they're not still evil, but and they didn't explain to him that it was a virus. Apparently, he did not know. I, I don't think. Does he know? Mm-mm. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Certainly, I couldn't tell if he knows. Hero gets antibodies. Like Jessica is immune to him because she is super strong and has antibodies to him now, basically. Which I think that makes sense, you know, as an explanation. Which, well, the other thing is, if he's a virus, why aren't they wearing protective suits in the video? Like, like would deal with viruses. Mm. Oh, true. Yeah, that would make sense. Right? It's just this weird of a, and he's a virus. Like, I think they're coming up with, again, they're in writer room, like, well, how do we have, defeat him? What makes sense? Everyone's like, everyone's like okay, and ignores the whole, like, when they are experimenting on him, without that too. Mm. I think, yeah, you know, a good point. Comics comics have had, like, only recently, like, the idea of a character that's a virus has been kind of a thing. Like, in X-Men, there's yeah. two viruses that are sentient viruses, basically. Um, and one of them is evil, and the other is, like, the source of all life in the world. So, when I heard that he was a virus, it kind of harkened back to those two things from X-Men to me. Um, and I guess, like, having read that kind of made it seem a little bit less bizarre. But he himself is not a virus. It's that his powers are a virus. I think it can work yeah. as a metaphor for, like, misogyny and, like, you know, like, it's contagious. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, you want to get the CDC, Center of Disease Control, involved to, like, fight against um, this social disease that is sexism, basically. I like that. 
That and works for me. It's interesting because right now we're like living in a time where people are beginning to talk about gun violence as a public health issue, for example. And, um, you know, I hope that that language is used to discuss like sexual abuse and assault and things like that as well. I think that that can be really helpful if it means that we're able to get more resources for dealing with it. And if it means that like people are going to treat it seriously as a medical problem. I love that. I agree. So I guess that's why it worked for me. Like, as a yeah, I I like it, and I haven't read about many comics, and I have not seen this before. So I I also like that that was like a new wrinkle that I was There's not expecting. There's also a line that he. Go ahead. Sorry. Hello. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I wasn't saying anything. I, oh. I think there was like some sort of beeping or something. Oh, there was oh. probably beeping. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> so I know that, um, you know, I feel like I'm going to that was actually interesting. Go ahead, Brett. Sorry. Brett, I think you're cutting out or something. Uh, was... Yeah, you're cutting out. Uh, you're cutting out. Um, Brett, DM me the question and I'll say it. Um, yep. uh, Danielle, so yes. I know you're a big fan of the show overall, which I know that makes being on for a weaker episode, kind of a hard burden to I carry. I know, like, if I'd been on, like, literally any other episode, all I would have done is, like, rave about every moment. So this is actually, like, I feel a little bit bad to say bad things about a show that I really, like, I watched it. I watched it over Thanksgiving break. Um, I had to sign tip-ins. It's, like, these little sheets of paper that they put in books um, with your signature, and I had to sign 15,000 of them, and I literally, like, watched all all ten ten, epi- all ten episodes over the break, and it was it was it got me through like three boxes of books. So, mm. such good fun watching. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's that's like definitely good. Uh, you know, it's everybody has a different approach having watched the show, like how they pace themselves. I'm- yeah, I'm like not that. really a binger in general. Like, I, I'm one of those, like, old-school people who will, like, if I like a show, I will watch it in real time in my living room. Like, I will, like next week I will be watching X-Files, like, it's 1997 or whatever year it was. Um, and, <laughs> but, so, yeah, I like, I totally am not a binger, but, like, I, I for this one, like, I was stuck in the city, and I, I, I watch, I'd watch, like, three hours at a time and sign sheets of paper, and it was so much fun. It was just so refreshing. I think the show... It's just nice to see a really strong female anti-hero. Like, I and I've always liked Kristen Ritter. I think she's so just great timing and funny and smart. And um, I don't know. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to sort of say, like, you know, as as a TV show itself, like, what 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 was? What did you originally get interested in it because Kristen Ritter or? Um, like, I think I've watched Kristen Ritter in, like, anything. Like, I watched Don't Trust the Bee and whatever that show was. Um, but I, I that and I like the idea of a Marvel series starring, starring a girl. I was curious. Um, and um, when I watched the first episode, I was completely hooked. I like that it was, it didn't feel like a comic book show, even though it is. And I watch a lot of comic book shows. I like Arrow and and. And I'm watching Supergirl, and I watch The Flash, and like I, mm-hmm. I like that, those things, and I don't mind if they're comic booky, but I like that this felt like it was. I wasn't sure if it was going to be procedural. I didn't know what it was going to be exactly, but um, I like how dark and moody and uh, it is. I feel like she's like brooding and kind of playing like what would typically be like kind of the the male role, and it hasn't been. It doesn't feel. Um, I don't know. It just feels. It just feels very uh, different than anything I've seen 
in this genre. So I, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I just wanted to, real quick, what Brett was trying to weigh in on um, was, this is, and I think this is totally right, Kilgrave makes a comment on this episode about Jessica not being very stylish. And he said it before, but it sort of escalated here. And he thinks it's a combination of like how pickup artists do that negging thing to try to make oh. people feel bad about themselves. But also, he's starting to justify to himself not liking her. Because he knows he's, even if he escapes, like his hopes of getting with her are over, basically. So he's trying to sort of talk himself into not liking her anymore. And I, I definitely buy that. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I and I, I like I kind of want to look back at other scenes with them and see if it's something that he's always done because he has extra clothing like, certainly, but right. But I mean, when you think about it, he's like the like the most pathetic kind of of of, of villain because he's he's got mind control and this is how he's choosing to use it. It's just so <laughs> creepy. It's like he's a guy who literally he did not try to date her before he put her under his spell. Like this is his this is his MO. So I don't know. I, I would love to know. I'd like to go back and look and see if that's how he treated her from minute one or not. Like I, cause I think that he, when he first saw her, he thought said how interesting she was because of her powers, but I can't remember like beyond that. He does diss her outfit like right away. He's like, you're really beautiful. The outfit has to go, but look at all that power. Like, so that is something he's been saying, but I do think he sort of escalates it now because he's trying to like stop being crazy about her because he knows he can't have her. Um, oh, interesting. One question I definitely want to ask you is, you know, if, if we can do this without any spoilers, and I think we can, if you were the showrunner, uh, what would you want to have happen in season two? Oh, my God. That is such a cool question. Um, if I were the showrunner, I would love to be a showrunner for a show like this. This is it's such an amazing show. Um I don't. I think I would introduce a new villain, um, and I don't know. I think that I actually would like to see her – um, own her power a little bit more and try try the superhero thing again of her own volition, not just reacting to a kill grave character. Like I, I think there's something interesting about the fact that she and I don't I don't know the entire mythology of Jessica Jones, but but it's for someone who is a superhero, she's got this like shitty office. She's doing the normal life thing. Like I kind of want to know. And I know that she was guilty about what had happened before, but I'd like her in season two to take some ownership of of, of the good that she can do again now that she's free of him. And mm. um, and I'd like her to face a new big bad, someone super interesting. <laughs> cool. And, like, it would be, like, one big bad throughout the whole season or, like, sort of in the background and then you'd have, like, villain of the week as well? Or what are you thinking on that? Um. I'm okay with the little villain of the week, but I I like there to be a big bad, big bad because it's like you want to go mano a mano with somebody. So I mm-hmm. I want to cast someone amazing. Like I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of who I would want, but uh, maybe a girl this time. Yeah, that could be cool. That could be cool, and um, sort of have a different context. I mean, yeah, and I would just and I would like her to like I'd like her to raise her profile, not not as a as a superhero but just like get her life together like try to you know like she's free now so i'd like to see what that looks like for her because i think there's like an element 
Yeah, yeah, because she's hiding from Kilgrave, like this, like the shitty little life that she's leading. Like, there's that line that Kilgrave tells her. I think, again, pointing to what you were saying about, um, he's kind of insulting her at the end. Like, he says something about her mediocre life. Like, I would like to see what her not mediocre life looks like. Her life without him, what she would build for herself. Like, and is I don't know if she'd still want to be a detective, which it looks like at the like I, but or what she's doing. Like, I'd like to see what what her life would be like now that she's free. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, totally. I mean, it's interesting because you see prior to her getting Kilgraved, like, she's still somebody who's really struggling with, like, what does she want to do in life? Like, she's definitely some, she's not like somebody who at least we haven't, I haven't heard her yet say, like, you know, I always wanted to be blah, blah, or anything like that. You know, yeah, we, we, but I'd yeah. like to, yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see her have, like, I would like to be that. Like, because I think that a lot of, like, she's kind of the reluctant heroine, but I'd like her to have some some ownership of her life and her destiny and what she actually wants. Because I feel like on a lot of, like, you look at, like, Supergirl right right now, like, I thought that there was a big difference between her character and then, like, the guy characters on the other superhero shows. And I know that they're trying to – it does feel very feminist, but at the same time, I don't get why Supergirl is chosen to be a secretary. Like, I don't, I don't know. Oh. It's like you've got all the power in the world – I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know if that would be your trajectory. Like, does she really want to be a magazine writer? I can't tell. Like, there's something like in that. And, and again, I, I'm a fan of the show so far, but I don't, I, that was a choice. I'm like, well, why is that her choice? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't watch Supergirl, but that totally, like, why are you like, and she's choosing to be, yeah, she's like, she's Calista, Calista Flockhart's assistant. And like, and she's hiding the fact that she, and I get that she's hiding her identity, but it's like, if I were, had that power and I know I'm going to like, I, I don't know. I think I would be, that would give me some confidence or something. <laughs> Just guessing. But I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then like, cause there are the other guys on the other shows in that universe. Like there's, uh, I think one of them's like a billionaire. Arrow is a billionaire. The guy from The Flash is like a, I think he's a forensic psychologist Break or something. Like they yeah, have like real jobs. Fine. They're doing yeah. real things with their lives when things happen. And she's, she really is like the girl who gets coffee. And I'm like, well, why is that? Like she went to, like she, clearly she went to college. Clearly this is a move to become a journalist. But then why didn't they just start her as a journalist? Like why couldn't she be a reporter like, like Clark Kent was? Why is she the secretary? Like that bugged me. Well, I mean, I do have a theory on that. Oh, go ahead. Please. So I, I think the difference between her, Flash, and Arrow is Flash was uh, the forensic, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever the proper term is, before he got his powers. Arrow was a, you know, a millionaire, billionaire before he became the Arrow. She had these powers, and throughout growing up, she's been told to not use them, to be meek, to not... Uh, get attention to herself. You see it a lot with Superman. A lot of them write him that way too. Um, and in her case, you know, I think add that on to the, she's a girl, that's the position she winds up in. Like, if you keep on telling someone, like, don't be great, don't use your powers, don't stand out. Um, you see that a little bit early in the series with her and her sister. Um, it was like the first two episodes where it kind of hinted at that. And I think the last episode when she was with Cat, uh, or maybe it was two episodes ago, she's with Cat, and that does come up, and Cat, like, why are you doing this? And when the Cat, like, fired her, um, she's like, no, I want to be here because of X, Y, and Z, and the reason she gave actually made sense. Um, okay, I probably need to rewatch it, because I did not, yeah. like, for me, it was just like, I would, I think I would have rather, like, 
No, but maybe, but maybe it works. Like I, but I think like I would have liked to see her. Like, I'm totally. I love Costa Flockhart. I love the the role that she's playing. And I, but I kind of wish she. Why is she not a reporter in that in the office as opposed to like the girl getting coffee? And I don't okay. see why. Like it's an opportunity. She's going to be role model to girls. Like I just. I don't. I don't know. Why not? Why like just that one step. Up, I think would make a difference. I don't, I, yeah. For me, it was just it was, I, and I've been a, I've done the assistant girl thing on my way up as a writer. But if I think if the if the role were that really establishes like she really wants to write, she really wants to do this thing, and that's why she's sticking it out with Callista, I would get that. But instead, it feels like it's like well, I'm hiding from myself, so this is all I get. And I don't know. I just I kind of want to start from a place that's a little bit just I, want, I think it's wanting something a little outside. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really think it's huh? that ladder where you're like, I'm hiding from a place, and this is what I get. I really, I do think it's that, um, oh, and that's okay. the way they're writing her character. And and they, some stuff they had done in early episodes, and the one where she gets fired, I think that's much more apparent. But, I mean, that's my reading into it. I'm sure other will, others will read it a totally different way. Um, my other thing would be is if you made her a reporter, then basically you've got Superman, but a woman like I, there's got to be another job in there other than being actual reporter but like, or getting coffee but there's like a real like you know trope about like that's what superheroes do they're like reporters it's not, it's not just clark kent really but he's the most famous one like in faith which is the comic that we had uh which just launching yep. this week we had we had the writer um on on last week to talk about it you know like the character is really modeling herself after traditional superheroes like clark kent and she wants to be a journalist because then she'll know, you know, when the trouble is happening and can get on board. Um, but because it's the year 2015 and there's no jobs in journalism, she gets stuck writing listicles for BuzzFeed, basically. But she's trying yeah, and to I be think a real I, girl. I think I would have loved that. <laughs> I would have loved to see yeah. her, like, be that girl who's, like, stuck writing, like, the stupid pieces, the puff stuff that she doesn't want to write. But yeah. I, I just would like her to have a little bit of, like, ownership and drive. Like, and I know that, like, I totally got what you're saying about the the wanting to, like, being put in the box. But that box could look a little different in 2015, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I do, I do. Um, uh, well, that's cool. I like these ideas for season two. Um, have you watched well, you Daredevil by any chance? Have I watched what? Daredevil. Oh, my God. I, like, that was the, the next three boxes were Daredevil. So <laughs> I, I loved it, actually. I I think um, he's like my new man crush. I think he's very, very hot. And it was it was a fun – I think it's equally – it's like a really fun show. Well, and I, I think that was when I was thinking about um, superheroes and when I saw, like, that Daredevil is like, he's a lawyer. Like, why can't – I'm still stuck on the Supergirl thing. I'm sorry. I'm going to let it go. <laughs> no, I hear you. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but what do you think of Daredevil? I don't like it as much as I like Jessica Jones, but like, I'm really, I feel like, I, you know, I'm going to have to see how I feel after the next episode. Cause like a number of people have said that they feel like the end of the show really starts to go off the rails a lot. And this episode is weak for me. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely problems with Daredevil, but there's a lot of things it does well. Uh, I feel like Daredevil is such a, is such a New York show, like more of a New York show than Jessica Jones is, even though Jessica Jones has a lot of New York in it. Um, Although I do think there should be a drinking game where you just drink when they say Hell's Kitchen. They say Hell's Kitchen more than people who live in Hell's Kitchen have ever said Hell's Kitchen. Absolutely. Like, I swear to God, it's like, we are in Hell's Kitchen now. Like, like it's literally the way that they talk. It's ridiculous. Oh, did you know um, that Luke Cage's bar is actually 
7A, the bar 7A in the East Village. Oh, my God. I thought it looked familiar. I spent a lot Mm -hmm. of my 20s there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that it was. I knew it was familiar. I didn't know from where. And then one of my coworkers grew up there, and he's like, that's the bar that it is. It's like across the street from my mom. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Next time I'm there. (laughs) It's hilarious. It's all going to be on a new tour of the city, I'm sure. The episode could, like, both of these series, really, I think. Well, yeah, be... I, I hope they actually shot some stuff in Hell's Kitchen for Daredevil because they say it enough. I, I, what I like about Daredevil, though, I, I do like the, I like the, I like Foggy and the girl from True Blood. I thought are adorable. I think mm-hmm. that there's good stuff in there. I think that towards how many episodes in are you? Oh, we watched all of it. All, all of it. We, we, yeah. You, you're done. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought the end got a little wobbly, but. I, I maybe I don't know. I I'm curious about the next season. I still I think it's got potential. And I like him. Mhm. Not just because I mean, he's hot, but because he's a good actor. <laughs> yes. These are all true. And I also yeah. I think it's noteworthy of course that you mentioned um the actress from True Blood who plays Karen Page and the actor who plays Foggy Nelson like they're cute together. They're supposed to be the couple, not like her with Matt for Christ's sake. Yeah. Do do people think that she's supposed to be with him? I, no, I don't think fans think that, but I sometimes oh, wonder good. if shows think if the show thinks that. Oh um, no, I hope not. I know. I hope I, not. I, I, I like her and Foggy. I think that there's like it's such a sweet coupling, and I think she's so interesting. I think I, I like her. It, I have heard a few people who um, have been comparing Jessica Jones to Daredevil, uh, and have, who, and who don't like Daredevil much, have referred to Karen Page as being a damsel in distress, which is just not true. Like oh, I think not at all. I think that she so well. really, yeah, and I think she's had such a nice arc of like figuring out where she her place in all this. I think it's, she's great. I mean, I think really what Jessica Jones has over Daredevil is that Jessica Jones is like the television show that has done the best job of talking about issues of con- consent, you know, of any show has ever done. So Jessica Jones is really breaking ground in terms of the subject it has, matter. Yeah, that it, has a, it has a whole other layer that Daredevil does not have. Like they're not addressing. There is no theme or that that is new in that. So yeah, I think that I and I. So I'm very curious about what Jessica Jones will be doing next season when that theme is not gone, but she's just going to be recovering from that. So I've got a question on that. You brought it up. Are you watching um, American Crime? I have only seen the first episode of the season, so I'm. I think I'm one behind. Have there been two now? Like I saw the yeah, very first two. one. Well, so yeah. here's the question. So Jessica Jones, you know, dealt is dealing with a lot of the same issues that American Crime is, is dealing with. No one is talking about in respect of American Crime, or at least I'm not seeing anyone talking about it. And I find that really I don't think fascinating. Any, I, I, I haven't heard anyone talking about this season of American Crime yet, which is, like, okay. weird to me, because I, I think well, I the wrote first season got so much attention. Amazing. Yeah. I uh, well, I will read it. I thought the first episode <laughs> was brilliant, and I'm, I've am got the it next one DVR'd. But, yeah, I, I, lo- I mean, you know, it's such a great cast, and I'm really curious to what they're going to do. I, it, I'm surprised it's not getting more attention. I've never and heard of the show. Oh, it's, it's the uh, creator of um, 12 Years a Slave, um, Totally blank. I always blank on his name, and I feel horrible about it. Steve McQueen? Um, no. No, no, no. Um, oh, oh, God, no. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I always yeah. blank on it. Uh, John Ridley. Okay. And it's an anthology, so the first season dealt with uh, race and like a lot of Black Lives Matter type stuff and, and uh, police 
reactions and drug dealing and and uh, had all these characters. The second season is a lot of the same actors, totally different characters, um, and this one has to deal with um, uh, uh, education system, class, and rape. But the rape isn't a woman; it's a boy. And um, you know, a lot of the same stuff as Jessica Jones, except put it instead of having Jessica dealing with a lot of these issues or Hope or whoever, it's a teenage boy. Hmm. Oh wow! And there's a there's a twist to it four episodes in, but uh, it's absolutely amazing. Like if you if you enjoy the issue, I wouldn't say enjoy, but if you appreciate the issues of Jessica Jones, you should watch the season. And I'll say American Crime for those who don't know about this. So John Ridley in an interview said in the second episode they have an actual counselor dealing with. Uh, the the victim and it's an actual counselor who does that in real life and hmm. in the fourth episode it's got a uh, person who's doing poetry who is actually you know a victim in real life and does poetry in real life and that is one of their poems um, so wow. he does a lot of blending of real life with the season so it's actual people who are either kind of, I don't know how to in the sphere or have things have happened to them or whatever are in the series and it's uh, it's really kind of fascinating and you find out more about the season, and it's as much of an emotional gut punch, maybe more so than Jessica Jones. Well, I There's definitely a- will check it out. I um, I read, I literally, I watched the first episode, and I thought it was great, and I'm going to watch the next one. Um, and I think that people will, I'm sure people will find it. I think the reason why Jessica Hope. Jones is getting so much attention is because it is probably it's one of two female-driven superhero shows on the air, I think, and Uh it's something that Marvel has never, I mean, that we have not seen an issue handled by a show like this before. I think that's why it's getting the attention, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. People have been really hungry for this, you know, in a real way. And it's also, you know, um, Agent Carter is back tomorrow, and um, I think that, like, you kind of can't have one without the other because you need to have, like, Agent Carter is you know, she is not an anti-hero. She's just, like, a hero. And yeah, she's a straight up, yeah. But she might as well. She's, like, that good at fighting. Um, and, uh, you know, it would suck if, like, the only character, like, female, you know, superhero on TV was we had, like, an anti-hero on a show that couldn't be watched by kids, and that was it. Like, you need to have both. Like, it's good to have a complex female lead character who's an anti-hero and just, like, does the wrong thing a lot of the time, the way male characters get to do. Like, Jessica Jones gives us that, and then right. Agent Carter and is a positive, like, you know. And and I will go back to, and I'm really excited about Supergirl, except for, the, you know, about <laughs> her being a secretary. Otherwise, yeah. so glad <laughs> she exists. And I think that, I think the actress is very winning, and the show is very cute, but um, that's, like, my only drawback. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, oh, this was so much fun. Yeah, for real. I like I love hearing about this. I mean, your story analysis is really spot on and a good perspective to have. Um, can you want to tell our uh, listeners where we, they can find you on the internet and what to watch out for next? Uh, yes, um, my I'm on Twitter, Danielle M Page, um, and um, on Facebook and and Tumblr and all the other stuff. Um, and my next book, my second book came out in, in March. Wicked Will Rise. It's a sequel to Dorothy Must Die. The third one is coming out this March, March fifteenth. Uh, Yellow Brick War, and it's mm-hmm. more Dorothy. And my new series is called Stealing Snow. It's a Snow Queen retelling with. Um, 
a, a girl who stumbles out of a mental institution into the woods and discovers that she was actually a snow princess and she has an evil father that wants to kill her. So, um, so it's really hmm. it's fun. It's like a dark, imagined frozen, but teenaged and really, really dark. So, oh wow! Uh, and that's out in October. Well, actually, actually, for those who don't know, what's the premise of Dorothy Must Die? Oh, uh, so Dorothy Must Die is a short version. Another girl lands in Oz and has to fight an evil Dorothy, which is why Dorothy Must Die. Love it. So everyone that used to be good is now bad, and everyone that used to be bad is now good. <laughs> that, that, I love, I love, that's such a fun concept. It's really fun. I hope that you guys check it out. Thank you. Um so thank you again for joining us, Danielle, and uh, and well, hopefully we'll have an excuse to have you back on the show again sometime. Yes, um, I can talk about how much Supergirl should not be a secretary or whatever. Else <laughs> <you need to. laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Fun. Brett, we have yes. our next episode scheduled, in fact, this time. We do. Uh, next week. Uh, 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 well, we'll be stay, stay in the gas eagle for that. <laughs> Sorry. I was oh, my God. I'm, lo- I'm loading it right now. So our <laughs> next episode is the 27th of January. We'll be discussing episode 11, 11 at 10 p.m. on the January the 27th with our guest Oliver Sava. He's a writer for the Onion AV Club and is like a big comics geek. We've had many a fascinating Twitter conversation Um his reviews of, of Adventure Time were things you've probably read if you're a fan. So very excited to have him on from the Onion AV Club. Yes, it should be a lot of fun. So that's going to be next Wednesday. Uh, an art or a uh, post up on um, Blog Talk Radio announcing it will be up um, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, and then this episode, as soon as we are done, will be posted to iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and Stitcher a little bit after we wrap up. It's usually, I don't know, I think within an hour. I'm not quite sure exactly. Probably should time that mm-hmm. at some point. Um, and then we will also be up on SoundCloud, um, possibly later this time tonight, uh, if not tomorrow. And you'll be able to listen to the episode again, share it with your friends, or take it on the go um, and listen to it wherever you are and wherever you like. So. Um, thanks for listening. As always, you can catch us at graphicpolicy.com. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all that graphic policy, keeping it nice and consistent. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. <laughs>